This is Robotic Disclosure, the program that reveals everything you want to know about robotic surgery, robotic technology, and how to run a best practice robotic program for your hospital, your surgeons, and your patients. And now, here's your host, Josh Feldstein. Our next guest is one of the most knowledgeable robotic surgeons on the scene today, and that's Dr. Herb Cousins. Dr. Cousins is board certified in OBGYN, specializing in obstetrics and gynecology. Herb is a nationally recognized guest speaker on robotics, robotic surgery cost effectiveness, and robotic program optimization. Dr. Cousins is medical director at Kava Robotics and has been performing robotic surgery since 2004 at Bell & Health in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Hey, Herb, thanks for taking some time between cases and patients to chat with us today. Thank you. You've been inside a lot of hospitals. What is the absolute key in your mind to achieving a world-class robotic program? I think we've learned over the past decade that uh, program vision and having aligned interests of all of the parties that touch that program is critical. Um, the administration, multidisciplinary surgeons, and the crew all have to uh, be brought in at the same time and have that same vision. Um, really, we want to align that vision with the triple aim to provide high-quality, low-cost uh, surgery with an excellent patient experience. And robotics is capable of doing that. But if it lives in a vacuum in the surgery department or with the urologist or in the GYN department where people are not communicating and playing on the same team, then uh, we don't ever achieve the, the, the goal of high quality, low cost and an improved patient experience. Mm -hmm. And the second one is you have to have data to guide that. Are we truly improving the quality and lowering the cost? And if we don't monitor it, then you don't know. So I think having that unified program vision and the data to guide the uh, development of the program is critical. When you think about bringing alignment uh, to, uh, together between administration and providers, what are some of the biggest roadblocks you've seen in helping the administration understand the value of robotic surgery uh, the way the, the surgeon does? The administrators aren't really clinical. You know, the surgeons uh, get it in that um, you know measurable metrics like less pain medication use, um, less pain, happier patients, faster return to work, less blood loss, um, less wound complications. Uh, they see all of that in the medical literature, but then on the on the administrative side, they look at it as a return on investment. They spend millions of dollars on robotic equipment and they don't uh, see the return. And then their message back to the clinicians is, hey, this costs too much, um, yet the clinicians are seeing you know, better outcomes and happy patients. So aligning those visions is the key. And the, one of the barriers is, well, it's another medical staff department, um, and, and it really does have to be approached that way. So... When you think about bringing together an entire organization, is the the data what is the common denominator between all these different stakeholders? In your opinion, well, it is, and you know, 
data transparency in hospitals is a is a is a challenge. There there are many challenges in this day and age with all of the implementation of electronic medical records. Um, but but data is one of those challenges, and it's never really been used to drive. Um, business development and decision-making in medicine because it hasn't really existed before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the, the, the challenges that an institution has to overcome, what are two or three of the greatest challenges hospitals face when it comes to data, uh, and how do you correct some of these issues? Um, well, of course, access to the data. Uh, many of the EMRs are, are convoluted in the way that they... Uh, uh, give outputs of the data. Um, besides the EMR, we're trying to bring in other sources of the data, like financial systems and cost accounting, uh, which are completely separate, and then align those data sets to to uh, to interpret them. You know, often IT and, and admin are are challenged in that, um, and and you have to have that transparency to the clinician level because they're the ones who actually have the impact on quality outcomes and the cost utilization. Um, if there's a disconnect between um, decision support IT administration and the clinical team, then uh, you don't get the outcomes that, that the administration needs to show and that the clinicians really want. Herb, you're talking about transparency and that's a, a simple word. It's used commonly. But when it comes to really sharing performance metrics in terms of an entire institution where the administration, the crew sees what the surgeons are doing, the surgeons get a chance to understand what things really cost, the crew understands which surgeons are slower and faster and more, and less, more or less efficient, there's a lot of vulnerabilities when people start seeing this kind of data. Uh, how common or uncommon is it for institutions to be able to accept uh, this transparent culture of, of data in, in, uh, in running robotic programs? It's difficult. You know, administrators don't want to show sometimes the inadequacy of the data or the difficulty and the clinicians poke holes in it. And the clinicians don't want their performance lined up, you know, visibly and publicly available next to other surgeons. So that's a that's a total change in mindset. Um, but as you know, we had a conversation uh, yesterday on the phone about it's coming, whether we like it or not. That that performance, cost effectiveness, volumes, pricing, um, uh, because we have medicine has entered the age of big data. Um, uh, it, that that's all coming, whether we like it or not. Um, hospitals are obligated to monitor the performance and prove that they have adequately credentialed and privileged surgeons, and they need data to do that. Can't just show an empty file two years later when the when the credentialing agencies like Jayco come knocking to look at the the hospital. The hospital is going to need to have. Um, uh, some kind of metrics that they monitor on uh, clinicians and surgeons to show that uh, they truly are um, uh, looking at the outcomes, quality, and the skills of the of the team. So it sounds like 
when you have a, an institution that is not yet at the stage of data management that you've just described, uh, it's a wake-up call to say this day and age is now upon us. And uh, it really goes beyond just the management of a robotic program. It really has to do with the management of the overall surgical program and the overall hospital as a whole. So, you know, we're, we're entering a new era. Would you agree? I would. And, and it's been relatively accepted in primary care in the sense that we monitor things like, you know, the, the number of patients that get their mammograms and the number of patients in a, in a clinician's panel that have their A1Cs under control or their blood pressure under control. Um, but we don't do that well in surgery. In, in surgical specialties, the, the types of endpoints that are available are less readily accepted than uh, in a value-based environment for outpatient primary care. That's a very important point. Uh, it, when you think about quality, you know, you've mentioned credentialing and training. Maybe we could talk a little bit about what steps you believe surgeons should take to really achieve best clinical performance in robotic surgery. What's required to get them to best practice? Um, well, surgeons, first of all, have to have some type of professional integrity because there aren't the same endpoints and commonly accepted uh, quality metrics like payers and other people look at in outpatient medicine. Um, we always, as surgeons, have to be willing to look in the mirror and see the truth. We have to understand that, that our outcomes really do count. Our volume, our commitment to uh, a certain type of technology, uh, like robotic surgery, you know, we, we can't be an expert in everything that we do. Um, uh, so, so letting uh, complex GYN surgery or uh, cancer prostate surgery or colorectal surgery for um, you know rectal cancer, someone has to have adequate volume to continue to do those complex cases. Um, training, so so training in robotic surgery has been vendor controlled up until this point. I think we need to own that as as a healthcare system and surgeons. At some point, um, a third party independent of the vendor uh, is the best way to uh, potentially offer um, unbiased uh, training. So the vendor has an obligation to, you know, sell more more widgets, more robots, and more supplies. So they're going to not always be. Uh, intellectually honest when it comes to training surgeons. They need trained surgeons to use their equipment. Um, and we've done this in the pharmaceutical industry where we don't let pharma reps come talk to primary care doctors and buy them lunch. But yet we we don't have those same controls in, in, in the surgical world. Um, that needs to change. Surgeons need to understand that cost is a quality metric in today's you know value-driven healthcare environment. So Clinicians have to understand the finances that there is such a thin margin in medicine that $100 or $200 additional margin on the case can really mean 100% improvement in margin. The margins are so thin. So clinicians need to understand that business in medicine. They need to be intellectually honest and, and, and uh, self-evaluate their skills um, at a point now where we don't have that, that third-party control. Um, and ultimately, we have to own our own training environment. 
You're describing an evolution in terms of the the cultural uh, uh, perception of administration and and individual hospitals, and that's something that's going to take some time. Uh, are you seeing this trend uh, evolving, or are there uh, significant roadblocks to to this type of uh, evolution? It is evolving. I think um, the surgical societies uh, now usually have some international meetings, some discussion or presentation from hospitals that have been successful in uh, in implementing a, a, a good uh, governance on on uh, credentialing and privileging. Um, uh, as you know, we participated or I participated in the Institute for Surgical Excellence meeting about a month ago where um, uh, major uh, societies, um, about eight or ten large uh, IDN healthcare systems representing about 250 hospitals, um, some of vendors, uh, and the government uh, oversight of the FDA uh, was involved in um, a consensus group to make recommendations on initial credentialing, privileging, and ongoing competency monitoring. And and probably later this year, there will be a statement uh, made that uh, will be publicly available on a consensus from those societies and, and, and major hospitals that have been successful at this. That's a, a major transformation in the way robotic surgery is going to be perceived and managed. And, and that actually leads to a, another question, which is in view of these changes that are taking place, uh, Herb, what's your view in terms of why uh, what we refer to loosely as the urban legend that robotic surgery takes too long and costs too much versus laparoscopy? Why does this continue to bubble up as kind of an undercurrent uh, inside of the the uh, the surgical environment uh, in the in the in the c-suite of hospitals to this day I think because of the first decade of implementation of robotics it was true it wasn't really a legend um, you know if not implemented correctly and you have thousands of surgeons on a learning curve uh, learning robotic surgery um, it does take too long. Um, if surgeons don't approach, they're in that, that early learning phase, whereas they've been doing laparoscopy and open surgery for years. Um, so people have to accept that some of the early studies that were published uh, were, were based on a, a, a population of surgeons that were just learning robotics. Um, oftentimes those studies are published in academic institutions where they're training residents and fellows who are constantly in a learning curve and rotating through. Um, so, so there's some truth to that. Um, but back to the triple aim, we could simplify the triple aim from high quality, low cost, excellent patient experience. Um, you know, one of the phrases that our good friend, Dr. Lowe says is, um, uh, faster, cheaper, safer. We need to make surgery that way. Um, uh, and, and if we approach it with the right vision to train and privilege the right surgeons to pick the right cases for robotics, um, and approach those cases from a mindset of cost containment, don't make this a laparoscopic case with $500 disposable instruments, but approach the case with, with a, a different mentality. It's an open case done in a minimally invasive way and the cost and the speed can be improved. 
and you know, both clinical and cost outcomes will be better, and we really will achieve that triple aim of making uh, a higher quality at a lower cost um, and improve those patient experiences of faster return to work and less pain and, and, and uh, better recovery and less complications. That's an excellent summary, and what you're describing really requires that administration review, and I, I say that in quotes, uh, their perception of what robotic surgery offers, because what you described is uh, a completely different approach to perceiving and managing uh, the the technology in a, in a in a real world environment, which means that the perceptions from the past, the perceptions from uh, other research and papers and so forth in the literature over the course of the last 10 years, uh, a lot of that has to be seen through a new lens, the lens that you've just described. And it, it, it challenges administration of hospitals to, to think in a new way uh, about how they structure and approach robotic surgery. Uh, and it also sounds like the day is, is approaching where, uh, from a legislative perspective, uh, pressure is going to be put on these institutions, whether they want to or not, to start thinking differently. Uh, would you uh, agree or disagree with that? Uh, I would completely agree. There's going to be some requirements. If we don't own this process, someone else will own it for us as physicians. And, and even probably more urgently is that if hospitals and surgeons don't have a structure in place to sort of co-manage and, and, and collaborate to make the right decisions in these areas like credentialing, privileging, case selection, um, monitoring uh, uh, data and making informed decisions in these areas, it's going to be the Wild West in the OR quite soon because there's not going to be just intuitive. There's not going to be just one robot vendor in the market. There's going to be uh, you know, dozens of others that enter the market, um, not just in those uh, core specialties of general surgery and, and, um, and uh, uh, GYN and, and neurology. We're seeing expansion into ENT and, and growth in thoracics uh, with the same tools and many other vendors coming in the market for things like neuro and spine and, and ortho surgery. So, so expensive uh, computer-assisted surgery is not going to go away. It's just going to grow. And, uh, and within 24 months, probably before a regulatory environment impacts this, this um, uh, choice that the hospital has to make, um, uh, just purchasing decisions are going to make that, that impact. Thank you, Herb. We've been speaking with Dr. Herb Cousins, a nationally recognized robotics guest speaker and expert in robotic cost-effectiveness and program optimization. If you have any questions or would like to share comments with us, we'd love to hear from you at roboticdisclosure at gmail.com. You've been listening to Robotic Disclosure. Robotic Disclosure is produced by Kava Robotics International helping hospitals create profitable, high-quality, best-practice robotic programs in the U.S. and around the world since 2011. Visit kava-robotics.com.